I'm so excited to have my friend Lauren tonight because we spoke six months ago. She was the very first podcast guest that I had when we were in the realm of more lemonade. And just like I've sort of rebranded and re-envisioned what I want from this podcast and we're now calling it Pour the Pot. It's so appropriate that we're coming back to her six months later to talk a little bit about the many hats she's worn and continues to wear throughout this pandemic. So Lauren is a nurse. She is a mother and she is like many of us new to the world of hybrid education as a kindergarten parent. So Lauren, thank you for being with me. And I want to begin by just asking if you would take us back to where you were professionally and personally six months ago, and then bring us up to speed with where you are now. Sure. Thanks for having me again. Very exciting. It's almost funny to do this again and kind of relive the last six months. I feel like I've done a lot and nothing for having nowhere to go (laughs) and working significantly less than I was and yet feeling more tired (laughs) than I ever have. So six months ago, let's say the first two weeks, up to the first two weeks of March, I work in a hospital. I work in the post-anesthesia care unit or the recovery room, as it's more commonly known. I was working regularly three days a week, uh, specifically Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I worked seven to three those three days and occasional weekends. And then mid-March and COVID hit and the hospitals were overrun with our COVID patients. We got to a point really where I don't know the exact one, but I would say maybe 90% of the patients were COVID positive or under investigation because at that time too, our testing was not anywhere near what it is now. So it was taking quite some time to get testing back at that point. So then at that point, my unit was converted to a critical care COVID unit. So I started that point because my husband was working from home and he is our primary income. I was working one day a week and kind of finishing out the schedule that I had And then I transitioned into working all weekends at some point, I think during that COVID mania, and then uh, continued through that. And I think maybe around June is when things started to calm down in the hospital a little bit. Elective surgeries were opening again. So our recovery room was cleared of COVID patients. Our whole unit was cleaned. It was emptied for probably three weeks while they cleaned and got everything back in working order. And then we started reopening surgeries. But now at this point, surgeries are not back up to the volume that we previously were used to. So I am continuing just to work on weekends and during the week, you know, the joys of hybrid schooling and being uh, a kindergarten parent. I know we've spoken about it at length before as friends, but if you had to summarize those early weeks of COVID as a nurse and you had to 
give us adjectives to describe what you saw and what you cared for, who you cared for. What are some of those words that you'd attach to that experience? The craziest thing I've ever seen in my entire life and professionally, because we were a critical care COVID unit, we were seeing very, very sick patients with very little chance of survival. Our unit was very tough to be on. We got lucky in the sense that we did have a few very meaningful cases um, that did end up recovering and moving on. And they've received some attention on the state and uh, regional news level. So that was really nice to see that not just hear it, you know, through the the work, not rumor milk because they were true stories, but you know, the the work uh, water cooler talk, but to actually see it on TV and know that other people were seeing these incredible recovery stories. Because for us, we were really seeing the sickest people that weren't making it. And unfortunately, death was an everyday thing. And sometimes it was multiple patients in one shift. So it was a lot of sadness. And my takeaway from it is just (laughs) not to get too sad on it, but our job was to help keep those people very comfortable and do the best that we could for them in their last days and their last moments. Um, So just being there, talking to them, being able to get their families on FaceTime or even the phone, whatever way, just to get words across and just let them know that they were not alone. That was really some of the biggest stuff that we were doing with our patients. What was so interesting about talking to you in March and then continuing, obviously, our friendship conversations throughout the summer is that sometime in the early to mid-summer, we noticed the conversation and the attention shift from a medical response to talking about a return or resumption of essential services with then my career getting into focus, which is education. The conversation quickly became one where we had really done a great job of rallying around essential workers initially when the pandemic hit, including celebrating the complexities of shutting down school in mid-March and concluding a year online, which is something that this country and the world had never seen and done before in such solidarity. And then the reality of COVID not disappearing and it being something that we were going to have to learn to continue to be careful about, but also continue life with for the foreseeable future, it dawned on people. And we polarized the conversation and we started to talk about school. And you and I spoke specifically about to be in a classroom. And yet we also knew the realities of the situation meant that they wouldn't go to a classroom full time. What was your viewpoint and just your initial response as a health professional in seeing some of the conversation from parents emphasizing teachers' hesitancy to return to the classroom and really either being supportive or dismissive of it and to the conversation of what's safe and not safe? What was your take on that? So... Going back even to March, well, no, March is too far. May, June, around there when it was starting to get a little more clear that we were not getting too far 
where we had a much longer road of COVID to go. And, you know, last year with a preschooler thanking my lucky stars of, oh, so thankful that I don't have a kid in school right now. And then all of a sudden, you know, it kind of hit me in the head of, oh, but your kid's going to school in September. So my initial thought in May and June, I didn't know how they were going to get kids back into school. And at that point, a hybrid option, I guess, really hadn't, that wasn't really up for much discussion at that point. It almost seemed like the discussion was, you know, normal school day, Monday through Friday, or full remote. So at that point, beginning of summer, wasn't really sure how that was going to be accomplished. Through June, when the state got the okay to open daycares again, we had looked at the numbers in our area and what our daughter's daycare slash preschool was doing in terms of infection control and COVID safety practices. So late June, her preschool opened back up. So we made the decision to send her back three days a week from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. for We sent her for four weeks of that, I believe it was, so that she could go see her friends, say goodbye, get out of the house, play with someone her own age. You know, we took a little bit of a chance, but we were, because nothing was 100%, nothing's 100% now, but we were confident in her school. We were confident with the people that work there, and we were confident for the most part with our own child that she could handle it because I'm a nurse. We are always talking about people being sick and people being healthy and good, healthy habits. So that's always been a conversation in our house. She, we are lucky. She was very happy to wear a mask because she's an accessory girl. So it just adds to her outfit. So that was never a fight. So knock on wood, we know that we're lucky with that part. So that increased our confidence in seeing that kids could go back. Her class size was limited to 10, but I think the most that were there when she was there was maybe seven or eight kids at a time. And she was happy, even though they were distanced a little bit, they still got to play outside. They had their mask breaks. They were still having a great time just being kids, even if it was a little more distanced than they were used to. So that gave us more confidence as we were going into the summer and back to school conversations. We are lucky our area through the summer did very well in terms of low COVID cases. So as the school options rolled out, we were confident with her going back to school in the hybrid format and even taking the bus to figuring that not many people would be taking the bus. And because I have been working and out and among people through this whole time, and then so was my husband, he got activated. He's in the New Jersey National Guard. So he got activated in May. He was out working at the VA home in Paramus, which was also inundated with uh, their residents having COVID as well and having to move and shuffle everyone around. So come June, we were both confident with you know, our own infection control 
routines that we had taken for ourselves and for our family. And we were confident that we could carry that going into the school year. So I think for people, it's, you know, it's your level of comfort and it's like anything else as you go out into it, you just have to start doing it, you know, doing something that you're afraid of. And that's how you get more comfortable doing it. So going along with that and with the teachers going back, I think when we last left teachers, you know, at the end of the school year, we were still very much in crisis mode. So going into September, a lot of those teachers too were probably still left thinking in that crisis mode and how am I going to take care of a full class of students and because every school seems to have a different plan. There are what, like 600 and something districts or something crazy like that in New Jersey. So you have 600 plus different plans. It doesn't seem like anyone has the same exact plan of people that I talk to. So I think for teachers, they were just, they were left in a crisis mode and then asked to pick up in something very, very different and didn't quite get an adjustment time for it, I would say. I think that's what's probably really tough for them for their job. I also, aside from teaching in a pandemic, right, <laughs> and a lot of emotions and stress that go along with that in their own families. Well, I think that's something that you know is very interesting is that the stress of some parents in communities, especially ones that were frustrated and still advocate for more school. And, and you and I have spoken about this. Um, we all want more school. We also know that it requires planning that goes sometimes not in conjunction with our own, with our own priority list, but also with, you know, the consideration of every angle and every obstacle. One of the things that I think is so interesting about what you just said is acknowledging whether you be a nurse or you be a teacher or, or whether you be a stay at home mother everyone's job has significantly changed in the past six months. We were all wearing as a society, as a world, many hats before, but we've just really piled on our hats to the point where it's almost, there's no end in sight. The hats go to the sky, if you will. And so what I'm wondering from you, as you've looked into your professional and your personal life, what hats are you wearing now that are heavier or seem more frustrating or more complex than pre-pandemic? You know, it wasn't in our grand family plan for me to be essentially, you know, Monday through Friday, stay-at-home mom. And then I am working on the weekends. So I would probably say I end up working at least one day a weekend, almost every weekend. So the mom hat feels heavier because I'm home Monday through Friday with them all day, every day. And that was not my previous norm. And then I am working more on the weekends, which, you know, there's not many plans, so that's okay. I'm not missing anything. I'm not jumping necessarily to go out and eat indoors at restaurants. So not miss, you know, not missing those Saturday nights or Friday nights, but the mom hat feels much heavier. I think that American women and moms in general have been having this conversation for years. And it actually drives me mad that it took a global health crisis for us to pause and ponder it even more in depth because we talk about it all the time, but I don't know 
what we're doing about it, if that makes sense. Our jobs, no matter, like I was a stay at home, essentially, you know, with very limited part-time online work. And I was a stay at home and my workload has tripled. And I don't even know how, when, why, where, because essentially I was always home, but maybe Mm -hmm. they weren't always home or we weren't, you know, confined the way that we are now for safety and security purposes. But regardless, what is the solution in the pandemic for you, for me, for everyone? Because as we look ahead, I find the most obnoxious part of my optimism for people is that there's never really been an end in sight to how we lessen our load again, pre-pandemic. And now here I am, Susie Sunshine, on a random Monday morning at the drop-off line for kindergarten trying to preach to people like, well, you know, we'll get through it. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. And they're like, where? <laughs> so where's this tunnel that you speak of? Where's the light? But that's just, as you know, from my perspective and personality, that's just the way that I operate. But I, I find that it's so much harder for people. Like we've been dealing with these issues before and now they are in crisis mode what's a mom to do? Because we're entering into this season of like Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. I don't know if the holiday humdrum has started around you, but it's already starting to circle into social conversations of like, nothing can be the same and everything just feels so heavy. So what are you doing to circumvent all of that? That's a good question. It's really been for me, my pandemic pissy moment is that People are talking about these problems as if they they didn't exist. They didn't exist to this scale. But I, from since 2015, my life has been a lot more beautiful and blessed, of course, with children. But it's also been a lot more scary and a lot more stressful. And I know that as a society, we've been talking about that. Mom, you know, supporting mom, you know, has been a real thing in our culture these last few years, especially where we see blog post after blog post of women celebrating themselves in the postpartum diaper. We see women giving us iconic essays on their child walking into preschool in that moment of epiphany about the fastness of life. But then here we are in this pandemic where everything slowed down in one end, and yet we're still speeding through chaos, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, well, you and I come from very much the same mind frame of, I'm not here to hear your negativity. I'm here to support you, but I'm not here for the no solution negativity, if that makes sense. This has definitely highlighted the workload of the mother. And when I think about my friends that are single mothers and are really shouldering the blunt force of what this pandemic is doing to them, to their children, and the workload that they take on between whether it's virtual or hybrid schooling, whatever that option is, and trying to keep track of that, trying to continue being working moms because they are the only way that income is coming into their household and how they have to split themselves into however many kids they have and then their own job and then the lack of compassion or understanding maybe from their employers You know, I had a mom friend tell me over the summer, her kid was screaming in the back during a conference call and have her boss tell her, can't you put your kids in camp? (laughs) 
And she was like, no, I can't. There are no camps. There's no camp for me to send my kid to right now. What part of this pandemic do you not understand? So really comes down to, no, I'm not here for anyone's negativity. I'm here to support my friends. I'm even, I'm here to support the random mom that I meet and have a conversation with. But if you want to spew you know, your holiday humdrums or really get into, oh, this will never end. And I hate this and I'm sick of this. Well, yeah, great. All of us do. But, you know, I really come from the, well, you got to pull up your bootstraps and make the best of it and you have to carry on and find the good. So what's the good? And I find too, just even when maybe you get into those negative conversations, you listen a little bit, give some grace to that person because you don't know what kind of crap day they're having or furthermore, what the pandemic is doing to their own personal life. We talk about the many hats. And when we talk about lightening the load, I'm again, here I come with my obnoxious optimism. I do think there's a way for us moms, women in general, who are wearing many hats to find ways to lighten the load. What are some just pro tips you're going to give me and others on what's working <laughs> for you. Because I think that our best pro tips actually don't come from quote unquote influencers or necessarily those that we've given elite status of celebrity culture and rather through ordinary individuals. So what are the pro tips that you're going to dish out to me that are making your many hats not feel as heavy or as if anything, just more humbling and gratifying? You know, you've heard it through everything, being prepared for the week. So even just having the grocery shopping done and thankfully I can get shop right from home orders again. So that is cutting down on some time, but preparing for the week, grocery shopping and meal planning, that is lightening my load a lot. It does help, you know, having a partner in this game too. So that way, even if the kids are going nuts and I'm spinning my wheels, he can say, oh, okay, I know we're having tacos for dinner tonight and move right along. So having everybody in on the game plan, even having our oldest who's in kindergarten and having her in on the game plan, because I feel like my head gets so foggy with all the stress going on. So even having her in on the game plan where she can remind me, Hey mom, it's two twenty. My Spanish special starts now. <laughs> that has been really helpful. So I guess we kind of use dinner time and breakfast time as almost like, it sounds so cheesy, like a little bit of a team huddle. Like what was so great today? What do we got tomorrow? What's going on this week? And that kind of helps just everybody stay on the same page. And then my youngest just nods his head in agreement because he's only 21 months. So he just sits there and keeps rubbing food into his hair, but he's on board too. So that has helped for me. Waking up before the kids, actually the last couple of weeks, I've been really bad with it and I have felt it affecting my mood, but I was doing very good with waking up about even just a half hour before the kids starting my day having coffee quietly. I don't get up and get dressed first before everybody does. I just get up, I go downstairs, I start drinking some coffee, I enjoy some silence, and then I'm ready for everybody to, you know, come at me all at once. But I will say the last couple of weeks, I guess, yeah, last couple of weeks, I've been really bad about it and not getting up, but I do feel it affecting my mood. So I need to hop back on 
and start paying attention to my alarm again. So real talk on the many hats, because obviously I hear you with the getting up before the house. I too have struggled with this as of late and uh, it has 100% affected my moods and my positive Patricia approach. Uh, (laughs) I recognize the gift of solitude and we often as mothers say like it's impossible to claim, especially when people are home and more than normal, but it is possible. It's just about what we create into existence for ourselves. But I really wanted to talk about um, hybrid kindergarten with you and the real (laughs) and the many hats we wear because I've always educated the big heads, college students, and I've always found it really exciting to partake in other people's educational experiences. And I feel like a giant hypocrite because I've preached that in professional development for years. And here I sit and I want to claw my eyes out every time we're in a Zoom session because it's just, I see all of my inadequacies as a parent sometimes come out in Zoom. I recognize that um, this requires patience for all involved. But when we talk about the many hats of what it is to handle instruction at home, and I think especially your K-2 audience, especially your kindergarten audience where they're not reading and writing at the same level or if at all, we're sitting near them to help them with some basic technology issues or we have to check in on them to make sure that they are where they're supposed to be online and yet not hover and do the work for them. What's your experience been like that so far? Well, as I told you and shared a picture with you earlier, my daughter went ahead and snipped some of her hair off yesterday during virtual school because I got bored with school. That probably sums up our virtual experience. (laughs) But our schedule goes, we are virtual Monday. Our whole district is virtual on Monday. Tuesday and Thursday, my daughter is what they call asynchronous. And then Wednesday and Friday, she is in person from 9am to 1pm. What that means is that what our district did, the kids that are fully 100% remote, they have their own dedicated virtual teachers. My daughter is hybrid, so her class is split in half. So half the class goes in person Tuesday, Thursday, the other half goes Wednesday, Friday. So when you're not in school, your home days are your two asynchronous days, which means you do not have a teacher guiding you through any virtual classes. You are just, you're doing work independently, but because of her age, someone has to guide her through and tell her what her assignments are and give her very clear instructions over and over and over again. (laughs) However, though, the asynchronous days are not so bad because we are not necessarily tied to a schedule. She doesn't have any live meets until the afternoon And it's only one live meet in the afternoon. So the morning we are much freer. So she's an early bird. So I typically get her started before 9am. We get the bulk of our work done. And then hopefully by 1030, we're headed outside for recess and lunchtime. So that's what our days look like. 
the Monday virtual day is a little bit tougher because she is tied to the computer. And yes, they say don't, you know, they don't want you to hover. They want you to just pretend that she is in class, but she doesn't know how to troubleshoot the computer. So I still have to come around for that. Yesterday, she got kicked out of her Google Meet somehow. I was not hovering. So I don't know what happened, but I couldn't get her back in. I closed the program. I shut down the computer. I restarted everything and still couldn't get her in. She was getting upset. And then I just said, it's okay. This is all we can do. I'll send your teacher an email. It's fine. She was like, but I was going to present my tree journal because they're journaling about the tree outside of everybody's house and how they change. That's for their science lesson. So that's how our virtual experience is going. And then that's just for her, for my son, because he's entering that super toddler phase. He just wants to go out and play and explore. And so he will often get upset that I'm on the computer with Scarlett and he comes and he bangs on the computer and he yells outside until we can actually go outside. So I feel like she's doing okay. I feel worse that, you know, I feel like I'm not giving enough attention to my smaller child sometimes. I feel like there's a lot of times now that I have to plop him down and try and grab his attention with Daniel Tiger more so than I normally would because my other one has school to complete. So (laughs) it's really interesting because everyone's always talking about the effect that this experience will have on our students. And they usually refer to the student. What's so fascinating to me is that I'm very interested to see about the younger sibling effect as well, just for the sheer fact that I too, when I have my daughter's in preschool some days, and some days she's not and the days that she's home, and we have virtual schooling happening, the level of mom guilt that I have is terrible off the charts. And I I wake up every week that this conflict of time happens where my youngest is home and in a preschool age, and then my oldest is online for kindergarten. And I wake up every week resolved. I've got busy boxes and projects and things that I, in my head and heart, believe are going to happen. And it it never goes the way that I anticipated. And I always default to this iPad, which kills me to Mm -hmm. get her quiet so that the other can get on Zoom and then come back. And it's just, even if it's five minutes, but in total transparency, it's usually 25, 30. I just feel so guilty. And I get it. Like kids are resilient. They bounce back. And this is probably, again, a good example of when we wear so many hats, I've turned myself into like my own therapist at times, like about contemplating what's happening to my children and to myself and their view of me. And I think that that just goes to show back to the conversation about moms and and all of the pressures we feel. This is one that I I don't think we're talking enough about just because it's it's not even like we can trade tips. I mean, I'll take them, but it's just part of accepting where we're at in order to get to where we want to go, I think that this for right now, it is what it is. I can't stand that phrase. And yet I use it 24 seven now. Exactly. I feel worse for my toddler because I feel like I'm doing, and it could 100% be mom guilt feelings. 
I feel like I'm doing him a disservice. And because I took him out of, you know, an enriching daycare, is he not getting the same even early education that my older child got? I feel bad about that. But then he's up to three and four word sentences and he's doing well verbally for his age. And then I'm like, oh, okay. And then he repeats something smart that his sister said. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Fine. He's going to slap me in the face with something stupid in a minute anyway. So I go back and forth where I'm like, am I not doing enough for him? And who knows if it's compounded by the mom guilt and then the COVID mom guilt on top of that. But I do feel worse for him where he was so used to, look, the summer actually was great. So once Scarlett was done with her time at preschool, once we hit full on summer vacation, it was like, all right, this is summer vacation. And we took full advantage of that. So he was used to wake up, eat breakfast, let's go outside and play and run around and just play games all day. And now we're not doing that. And I feel like he notices that too. (laughs) So that makes me feel a little bit bad. And I went on what is it? I think it's called like Lakeshore Learning, Mm -hmm. these educational tools. And now the basement is done. Now the floor is back in. Side note, our basement flooded in August, so we lost that space that we usually use, but now we're all back in. So now I'm like, oh, I could take out all these educational toys that I bought, but I have not done that yet because I get so overwhelmed with what do I have to get her set up with? And then I have to get his educational toys set up. And I'm like, this is crazy. But I was listening to, and I have to, I'll have to send you the link at another time. I was listening to a podcast with a woman called Lenore Skinazzi, I think it is. And she runs a program called Let Grow. And she is kind of like the anti-helicopter mom movement. So it was very enlightening to listen to her and almost how in the same vein that women's magazines, you know, how the finger got pointed at women's magazines and creating these body image issues. She kind of points the finger at like parenting magazines and says, you have these parenting magazines causing these same issues. One of the things that she references is like how to play in the perfect play date. And she's like, you know, think about what your parents did. Do your parents plan perfect play dates or did you just go play with your neighbors and call it a day? Like you had to seek out your own friends, but she was very eye opening in terms of the time that we spend with our kids now versus, you know, the time our parents or our grandparents spent with their children and what mom guilt has become through the decades. So talking about the nurse and the mom hat combining for the non-nurse hat wearing parents out here about school. I know I've shared with you that my school's transitioning to our phase two in a week where we're going five half days a week. With that comes, you know, some changes, you know, we're saying six feet is no longer there. We're going to three feet with the plexiglass masks on, of course. And for some, there's trepidation. For others, there's rejoicing. For, I think, a lot of us, there's both. And I think that's another thing, you know, about wearing so many hats is you've got all sorts of different things piled on there. You've got enthusiasm because you believe that your child is going to benefit and thrive from this type of regular instruction and it's imperative to their progression. And then you've also got 
another hat that says, this is scary because it's more exposure and it's also we're seeing in New Jersey numbers rise. So talk to me from the nurse pandemic perspective where you've seen the worst of the worst. What should I be doing right now as a parent to talk myself up about where I'm headed, but also to calm myself down? I've been working through this whole pandemic We are wearing masks in the hospital. Are we six feet apart from each other? No. Do we have plexiglass between us? No. Do we stay three feet apart? No. We're all working side by side. We are not up each other's uh, backsides as much as we normally would be, but, you know, we are not sitting so far away from each other. Everybody still takes, you know, their lunch together. Everybody takes a break together. You're still sitting around the same table eating at the same time. And we have not seen any uptick in cases. I have not heard of any clusters of cases, any spikes of cases, not in my hospital and not in any of our you know, Morris County area hospitals. So if anything, if that says to you that I would feel comfortable with my child going to school more days a week, I would feel comfortable with my child eating lunch at school. I would feel comfortable with my kid playing on the playground and then taking the measures of always talking up hand hygiene now more than ever, especially coming into cold and flu season on top of that which of course, you know, adds a whole other layer of fear. You know, those are just, I would say too, you look at daycares, daycares have been open since end of June. So look into your area, look and see if, you know, what the cases look like, but you're not hearing of clusters of cases coming out of daycares. That's reassuring in terms of we can get our kids back into school a little bit more. And as you and I have discussed before too, public education is an essential field. These kids have to go back to school. Do we want to see our kids participate in sports and activities? Yeah, for sure. But you have people that are prioritizing some of these activities and sports and camps and going out of state to keep up with their kids, you know, sporting events, but yet not giving that same priority to getting all kids back to school. So that's where that irks me. That gets my blood boiling a little bit. I'm excited for your school district to go back and hopefully my district will hopefully do the same sometime soon. It seems like they are clinging on to, we have to do what we're doing for the first marking period. Where do we go is the question that I think a lot, everyone's asking, but I know for parents, it's really an interesting point because we're talking about our mental and our emotional health Mm -hmm. and, and our children's as well. And when we started our quarantine process and we entered into this pandemic, we were really not considering the weather because we were just so consumed by the facts and the devastation around us. And now when I look back, I'm thinking we're really lucky that it was March and that our best weather days were ahead of us when we could go outside and escape to fresh air in our backyard or go for walks and practice good social distancing, (laughs) but still be out in 
safe outdoor environments through a hike or through just a casual stroll in a neighborhood. Whereas now I think for moms, I was at soccer practice today and I said to my husband, it's overwhelming how our conversations are all directly tied back to COVID because you can feel the fear and the trepidation because we all have it about what's going to happen next in the trajectory of this pandemic. Are we going to be home again? Are we going to revert back to phase one? Are we going to keep ourselves healthy and our loved ones as we go through holidays? So what are your takeaways on how we should just handle those thoughts and questions? Because the kicker is obviously that none of us know the answer and we drive ourselves mad trying to chisel away at it. Sure. I think it comes down to, you know, as we come up on holidays, I feel like you can't plan too far ahead and you kind of have to take it with what feels right at the time in terms of do you see family? Do you just say, you know what, this year we're going to stay home because we don't want to put anyone at risk? Because real talk on this topic, that is another hat of it's like a negotiation process. I mean, obviously (laughs) people come from families. We both have in-laws. We both juggle, you know, siblings and their in-laws and just general familial relationships. And it's complicated Mm -hmm. in normal times. So I want to just emphasize that in terms of that's just another pressure is trying to, well, we know it's a global health crisis and it's a pandemic. Some people don't get the memo or they don't care. And that pressure is a burden that is just like the heaviest because that's a whole nother guilt and shame scenario that we're dealing with. For sure. So we are lucky enough that my parents live the next town over. And my brother and sister-in-law and my nephews live in the same town. So technically, we're all in the same community. We shop at the same places. You know, we're in the same circle. So for us, that is, as you and I have had this conversation so many times, that's a safe thing for us to see our family at this point in time. For someone like you, your parents are six hours away, right? Six driving. Yep. Six. Yeah. Uh-huh. Seven. Yeah. If you got to do potty stops. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys aren't in the same state. You're not in the same community. It's not a similar area. You know, you live in an area where people are still potentially traveling back and forth into the city. So for you to go and see your parents and you would have to stop likely along the way, get gas you have to stop in New York, pump your own gas. And, you know, that's enough for someone's anxiety right there. If you're not used to, you know, basically being out, we have friends who are still doing, you know, they chosen to have their child go to school and be 100% remote. They are still ordering from everywhere and doing everything completely contactless. So they haven't gone out and been around people to have to navigate this situation yet. So, you know, and that might be even tougher for them as they go forward. But yeah, negotiating how to see family. I mean, we were never on the same page before as as a culture, right? Like holidays are always different. (laughs) But but this pandemic, it's like it illuminates our 
kind of our worst insecurities and our obviously it plays on on all the drama that much more and it's just so fascinating to me because I mean we would probably have this conversation what are you doing for the holidays any other year but now there's such a heaviness I keep using that word because that's what it at least feels to me around the topic because it just it feels like joy is instantly robbed the second you speak it from your lips to the world. So for example, we had just this past weekend, we went to a family party for my aunt and uncle. Facebook Um, texts were real cute. Oh, thank you. And we were lucky enough, the majority of the attendees, we are all already in the same circle. Like I said, it's family that we all live in the same community. And then the other part of the family, they're in the same community and we're all kind of in the same pod, so to speak. You know, once it got to be end of May, we had been seeing some of this family. But then we had family come from South Jersey. I think that was the farthest away. So one part of the family, one cousin we had seen over the summer, our other couple of cousins we haven't seen since December, yeah, Christmas, uh, January. A few came for Sean's birthday. So that's unlike our family. So it was very hard to, not hard, it's just you see these people that you're so familiar with and are have always been a safe place for you. And then your first instinct, of course, is you just want to hug everybody and hold everybody, but everybody's got some trepidation and, you know, my cousin's 91 year old grandmother is there and I'm very close with her and she's somebody that I would love to hug, but at a distance saying hi to Graham because I don't want to be that person that gets Graham sick. (laughs) So I think coming up on holidays, that's where it also gets weird too, is sure you can do all the planning and then figure it all out. But then also too, once you get face to face with those people that you do want to hug and want to hold your children, and that is tough to negotiate as well. So it's tough. And then that's hard in person basically you look at the holidays this year and you kind of have to make the decision. It's not going to be comfortable all the way through. So you're either going to be comfortable with the uncomfortable or you're going to have to kind of skip it and do your own thing for this year. (laughs) Do you think one of the hats that you've worn this pandemic that maybe it's not that it's new, but maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it is new or maybe it's a refreshed look, so to speak. But is is a true simplification of this stuff? I'm just curious because I know you and I cut from the same cloth. You know, we enjoy our traditions and we enjoy our large families and we enjoy being a little bit loud and proud of family and, you know, getting out there and being social butterflies. I mean, we have a tradition where we meet up with another friend from college in the last few years. And the day after Thanksgiving, you know, we go out and we have some drinks and, you know, reminisce and pretend that we don't have to wake up to those children in the morning <laughs> and things like that. Well, I would say, yeah, it is sad. It is also uh, really gratifying to simplify life for me. I find that my calendar, well, of course, I love it filled and I love hearty plate full of activity that I also do find joy in just sitting home and finding unique and creative ways to engage. Yeah. And 
I will say it has been very nice not, and that's been a theme that's kind of carried through. And I think I said it when we sat down six months ago to do this, that it was very nice to not have to run everywhere all the time. And I definitely still appreciate just slowing down some more and not being on the run everywhere or trying to go to three different events in one day because your family, your friends, and then somebody's got swim lessons that you have to get to. So that's been nice to slow down. I've even just been overwhelmed. So we are, our daughter is taking dance class and we like the precautions that her studio is taking. So she is taking two dance classes this year. And then I also take a class there for adults. So on Mondays, I take her to dance and then I go and pick her up an hour later. And then a couple hours later, I go back there for my own class. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, how many times in a day do I go back and forth to the same place? But it is nice slowing down. So coming back into the actual school year with her going to school and those activities picking up, and then we are taking our son to swim lessons. So now like I'm getting busy again and it almost like I have to remind myself of how to get on the run with these kids again. I'm out the door and You're on stamina, right? One hat that I didn't talk about you wearing, <laughs> no disrespect to that husband because you know I love him, is the role of wife because I think that it's a role that is just as important, obviously, as that of mother. I mean, that's how we became moms. It's always overwhelming to me when I stop and think about we've spent so much time together, but so little time alone. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and and so how you manage that hat? Because like I think my pandemic priority shift list. If my better half listens to this, he's going to hold me to every word. So I want to be careful on how I say this. Is from now until the end of this pandemic, I don't just want the focus to be on the family. I need to shift it onto him as well. I think that I can own and accept that the first few months were about surviving. And then I wanted to succeed at it. And I think in a lot of ways I have, and then in many other ways I haven't. But I recognize that one of the hats that I'm not wearing as well is his wife, because so much of the me time at this phase of life for us as a couple was, you know, date nights out. We don't go out. I mean, I think we'd be okay to go out for a meal, but we don't have a sitter and we're not really comfortable bringing one home into our home and we don't have the family nearby. So things like that get complicated. And so like, yeah, we'll sit outside and we'll have a drink by the fire pit or sometimes we'll order in a fancy dinner and put the kids to bed and then eat. But then like in complete transparency, we're exhausted and falling asleep on the couch after like, oh, we ate too late, you know. And that you're starving too because dinner is at 5.30. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, uh, we usually eat at like 5.30. It's, you know, what used to be romantic is now like I need my rest. So how are you wearing that role of wife, that hat? How is that working out for your better half? And what are you doing or do you want to do to sort of just create that conversation and that connection that I think everyone desires, but it's a pandemic and we're at home with small children. So probably, you know, we're in the same boat there. Like I said, we haven't jumped to go out to any restaurants, babysitting options, my mom, his mom. And yes, I will say we, we've got a couple more, you know, we can call Kim, we can call Aunt Allie. 
you know, to come and help us out with those things. We've had a few like sporadic date nights where we've got lucky that Scarlett abandoned us to go to my mom's house. So we would over the summer order dinner from somewhere, get takeout and eat outside after Sean would go to bed. And that would be nice, a nice seven thirty, eight o'clock dinner, you know, hang out and talk for a little while. But that has really been the extent of it. And because I'm working on the weekends so much, you know, that takes up kind of any traditional date night time. And then of course, too, where you're focused on your kids and you're like, well, let's do something fun. Let's have a movie night. We're wrapping up the nice weather now, but there were a couple of times where we would sit outside with our daughter and even just set up the laptop and watch a movie out there and make popcorn just to do something a little bit different. So yeah, not a lot of date night opportunities. So actually, and speaking of, our anniversary is on Friday. So mm-hmm. he has planned an anniversary dinner and the kids are going to my mother-in-law's. So Evan. Sounds yeah. like heaven. <laughs> right? So super fancy. My engine's revved for you. <laughs> I really am so excited for I get so excited and almost giddy, clearly, when I hear people say things that feel and sound so normal and lovely. And I'm so excited for you. And I have these big ideals that I'm going to sleep in on Saturday morning, but it, you, stop it. Just you just stop know it. that that's not going to happen. Quit while you're ahead. Just stop it. You just stop it. Don't be silly. You know, what don't, gonna... don't take too much from the pot. Okay. <laughs> um, My alarm's still going to go off at the same time that it does every day. <laughs> <laughs> So as you know, I kind of began this six months ago, and I wanted to really emphasize and evaluate like how people make lemonade out of lemons. And I sort of like looked at the idea of fika, and I thought to myself, all right, I want to tie this into the coffee lifestyle. And I also just wanted to tie it into kind of that idea of connection and, and pouring out problems and filling up on possibilities. And it all just sort of came to me. So with that said... We've talked a lot about the hats we've worn and and the the many problems or obstacles that come with them. But we've also talked about, you know, ways to fill up on what's possible. Before I leave you, what is one thing that you think is not only possible, but powerful about the next phase of this pandemic for women and for moms, especially who are entering into the late fall, you know, winter stage of life? What's possible and powerful about it? Well, what I am hoping comes out of this is much more compassion for working families, maybe not even necessarily moms, you know, definitely moms, but for working families as a whole and not so much pressure to constantly be in the office for a traditional work time especially now that people have proven for the last six months that they can work at home or they can work on a modified schedule and they can be successful at it. And for some people are really thriving at it as well. So just more compassion and more understanding for working families that what the traditional roles, you know, that we grew up with or the expectations, that's not the same world anymore. So I hope that that is something big that can come out of it for different companies, big, small, otherwise, 
that they can just have a little more understanding for families just trying to make it work. And hopefully when everyone can go back to a kids going to school Monday through Friday and what that kind of schedule looks like and getting out to take care of your sick kid or take your kid to a doctor's appointment or go see their piano recital, whatever the case may be. Just a little more understanding for everyone and what their situations might be. So that would be my big hope on it. Did I even answer your question? Did it come out? I think so. I mean, I think it's really about like what's possible. And I think more hope, more compassion are possible. And I think would be incredibly powerful. And I think that what we need to do is continue to have conversations that emphasize empathy and employ it regularly. And I know you said about working families and and to echo that, I also think that we have a lot more learning and a lot more celebrating to do of one another and their professions. I've found myself incredibly humbled and by learning more about my friends' professions throughout this pandemic, from your profession and the things that you've done to help others and, and how you've brought dignity to death in certain scenarios uh, moves me to tears. And at the same time, I have such love and respect for the people that are educating our children right now online and in person and doing something that's challenging and yet they do it with such conviction. I just think that we have a lot of learning to do and a lot of growing about one another and not just in the intimate relationships in our lives, but in general and as a public society, as a contributing member of society, we need to learn more about our professions and, and one another. And we can only do that through a good fika. So I'm so thankful that you granted me one tonight. And I just want to say thanks because it's fun to be here six months later and see how some things have changed and Yet, in a lot of ways, things are very much the same as well. So I appreciate this. Oh, you know, anytime. Thank you for having me. I love it.